Welcome to Lasting Learning, the podcast that was started because I thought I had things to say. The podcast that continues to grow because we've learned that your stories matter more. Welcome to Lasting Learning, where we explore great people doing extraordinary things, sharing with us the lasting lessons they've learned along the way. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Lasting Learning Podcast. This week, we have a special treat. You know, recently I've had the opportunity to introduce you all to some amazing guests, and I've had some dynamic duos on the airwaves with me, and today is no exception. It's a dynamic duo and maybe even a trio, if we can weave a third voice into the message with us. This is going to be a fun conversation. I'm going to be having a conversation with a mother-daughter combo who are writing about another family member, speaking about their own lives, their own truths, all while trying to brave the elements in northern Wisconsin, making this Florida boy just chill thinking about it. But today, I am super excited to introduce you all to Nancy and Liz Jorgensen. Ladies, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having us. We're happy to be here. Absolutely. So welcome to Florida. How's it feel? <laughs> we wish we were in Florida. I, yeah, I know. Thank thank you for uh, uh, arranging your schedules to, to freeze up there so I could stay here in Florida and bask in the sunshine while you guys are all bundled up and um, at least we get to talk and maybe this will be a nice warm conversation to get to get things moving. So Na- Nancy, do you mind just leading us off here today? There might be some people listening that don't necessarily know you or Liz. Do you mind just introducing yourself and letting the world know where you're from, what you do, what you did and why we're chatting tonight? Um, like you said, I'm a lifelong Wisconsin resident. I'm a mom. I'm a, a teacher. I'm retired now from teaching, but I taught for over 30 years. I taught high school choir. Um, right now I'm a, a writer and a musician. And so um, uh, my music, my musical work is accompanying people. I'm a pianist and I've got some neighbors right around the corner who are professional trumpeter and clarinetist. And um, I see Liz- Elizabeth is kind of nodding her head, but it's the old folks getting together to, uh, to make music. <laughs> um, but they're actually very good. They were, you know, they were on college faculties. And so I, I work with them and um, my writing is uh, Elizabeth is my writing partner, my daughter Elizabeth, who's here with me. Um, we are each other's editors. We collaborate. Um, we work really well together. And one of our what well, multiple projects have been books that we've worked on. Um, and the last two have been about the third trio of of women in our family. Um, our da- my daughter Gwen, and so that's something else I do. I raised an Olympic champion, which I get a lot of questions about how, how did you do that? And we might be able to talk about that as we, as we roll on here. So, I mean, you, you have people all over right now, just completely riveted. The fact that you have raised this amazing daughter who is willing to to work side by side with you, a published author and an Olympian. It's incredible. And then 
you're also making your own identity in your own right. I think sometimes as parents, we sometimes lose ourselves in our children, but you've got your own identity, your own passions. I'm picturing you during lockdown, windows open, playing the piano while your neighbors are playing trumpets and like the neighborhood is just filled with music. It just sounds so incredible. That's very cool. Very cool. That's how she gets new members. They just like hear the music and they like literally ring the doorbell and they say, can I join you? You sound good. Oh, that's incredible. That's incredible. And that's why my neighbors don't talk to me because I'm the exact opposite. So very, very cool. Very cool. Elizabeth, do you mind introducing yourself? Yeah, I'm Nancy's eldest daughter and I am a teacher. I've taught high school English for the past 18 years. And when I'm not at school, I'm writing with mom. I'm a reality TV addict. I love pop culture. And I also am into lifting weights and meeting fitness goals. Oh, and then I also do some Korean poetry on the side. So I've got quite a diverse uh, background. Hey, you you guys are absolutely amazing. This is this is so cool. So let let's talk reality TV real quick. Are we talking reality TV like Survivor or The Bachelor? Those are two Neither. different spectrums. Neither. What? I'm I'm a Bravo girl all the way. Okay. Okay. If it's on Bravo, I watch it. I love the crime documentaries, um, those series that comes out, come out on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon. Those are all me. So the ones that make you think a little bit, not the ones that just allow you to veg. I like to think that it's okay. highbrow, like it's very, it's quality reality TV. Other people may disagree. Yeah. Watching murder on TV. High quality. I got you. I got you. Totally. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> well, I, I want to unpack your relationship a little bit. Um, I, I'm super intrigued by this. As a father of four kids, I, I, I can only dream of one day my kids wanting to hang out with me, to sit down and watch a show with me, to, to go out and have breakfast with me, let alone work with me and be vulnerable and transparent and write with me. Writing is an extremely vulnerable process. How did this dynamic work itself out where the two of you said, let's do this together? Um, I think it started when I was teaching choir. And Elizabeth and I were actually teaching in the same building for what was it about 10 years we were in the same building. Yeah. And so I would be writing programs for my concert and inserting bios and descriptions of the music. And um, I just wanted some, I wanted a reader. I wanted a beta reader. So before I put this out to the audience, you know, it looked okay. And so Elizabeth would um, look at that for me. And, and then I think you, Elizabeth, you had some things you said, well, if I'm going to look at this for you, why don't you look at mine? And we just kind of started, you know, doing projects that just needed to get done. And um, she's taught me so much about, because she's an English teacher, she edits work all the time. And she's taught me so much about how to be, how to give feedback and be positive, ask questions without demanding that something be changed. Um, and also how to receive feedback. Mm. And so I think I've learned a, a, how to do that. Um, and I try to, I try to give her the same favor back that she does to me as far as being kind, but honest and, um, and just forthright. Mm. Liz, I, I got to ask you, I'm going to go back to even being a teacher in the same building as your mom, the choir teacher. I, I if Nancy, if you're like any, any other choir teacher that I've met before, you're like a legend. All the kids love you. They enter your classroom as a freshman. They stick around for four years and they worship you. Everybody was crying when you announced you were leaving. And then Liz, you come into the school. Did you find yourself in her shadow at all? Or did you, were you trying to impress her at all? Or were you able to just live your own world? 
You know, our school's pretty big, um, 2,000 plus students. We have two campuses. I'm at the North Campus with the juniors and seniors. Mom went between the two campuses. Um, and then our last name, Jorgensen, you know, I think it's common enough where a lot of people didn't put two and two together and realize mm. that we were even related. I remember in my interview for the job, they didn't even know that I was mom's daughter. Um, but I, I loved having her there. She was always good for lunch money. <laughs> and, you know, just like she would put cookies in my mailbox or banana bread. And it was, it was really fun to work with her. And then I, when I, I was trying to save money for a down payment on a house. And so I moved back in with mom and dad for a little while and we carpooled to work oh, for wow. quite a, yes. And that was an interesting experience as well. Wow. Okay. And, and so Nancy, you, you went through your career 15, 20 years without your daughter in, in your building with you, you were carving out your own identity. Now you've got her coming along for the ride. Did you feel any intimidation? Did you feel it, it, weird at all or did you just um, fully embrace this I I think I just did I just loved having her around and you know the kids would when the when the kids figured out that there was this connection they just got a kick out of it you know and they'd say oh, Mrs. J Miss J is your daughter so there was Mrs. J and Miss J and they just um, you know they would kind of ask questions they were curious about the family dynamic about you know maybe what we did at holidays or um, how we spent our free time. And I just kind of got a kick out of, out of them getting a kick out of it. Well, and just the fact we would be in the hallways and I would be like, mom, mom. <laughs> and like, it's just, it's unlike what you typically hear in the hallways. Oh, it's so good. It's so cool. Uh, so I'm going to come back to, to your dynamic in, in just a minute. And I'm also going to talk about the individual projects that you had and, and that's how you were able to come into your own and start, start writing. Um, and then even going to the hacking series and all of that. But then there, we, you mentioned in the introduction, there's this other woman that's a part of this family dynamic, woman that's become the, the centerpiece for, for some of your writing and for some of your speaking. Gwen, where, where does she fit into all of this? Um, Gwen is our younger daughter, and um, she and Elizabeth, I think you always got along when you were growing up, but they were very, very different. Elizabeth is the social, the social person in our family. She just, um, she walks into a room at Christmas time and organizes all the games and gets all the cousins to do something fun. And everyone says, where's Elizabeth? Um, Elizabeth's coming, isn't she? And Gwen is quieter and more introspective, introverted, but very driven. And she just she just fell in love with sports swimming in the beginning and knew that she wanted to excel mm -hmm. and always advocated for herself and just um, had this had this drive, had this vision that she wanted to be a really good athlete. Um, and so, you know, Elizabeth is also very driven and um, has visions of what she wants to do, not necessarily as a professional athlete. So there, you know, there, there are so many similarities and then there are so many differences. Mm. Uh, Liz, were you going competitive at all? Uh, we are competitive, but I wouldn't say with each other. Mm. We both are very competitive. Well, I mean, if we're like playing a family game, everyone is out for blood. Like we want <laughs> to win. Um, but we not necessarily, I, I didn't, 
I saw Gwen have this athletic success and I knew how much pain and suffering it is to achieve at that level. And that's not me. I don't want to push my body. I don't want to feel that kind of pain. And so where I excelled and where I really loved spending my energy was being Gwen's biggest fan. I have always, even from when she was real little, I'm the one organizing the crazy shirts, getting everyone to cheer together, decorating the car. Um, That's always been my shtick. And Gwen is not a huge fan of it. She tolerates my enthusiasm, (laughs) which I think she would much prefer if I would just sit in the corner and clap politely when she wins. Well, for for people that aren't able to to see what I can see right now, I see genuine pride from both of you when you're speaking about each other when you're speaking about Gwen like genuine pride this isn't one of those where you're just putting somebody up on a pedestal so you have something to talk about there is genuine love genuine respect genuine adoration for for each other and for her as well Nancy this this has to be for for you again I'm a father four kids simple question how do you get your kid to get along I'll start with that yeah, you know, I wish I had the answer um, because, you know, I see families that don't get along. There are people in my own immediate family that just don't get along with other people. And I'm not sure I have the the magic formula, but looking back, um, I tried to create a balance between being the mom, being the adult and making some um, assumptions and expectations, but also giving everybody in the family leeway to be themselves you know Mm -hmm. some independence some oh just some freedom and accepting them I tried to accept them for where they were and kind of I think I especially with Elizabeth I think I treated her sort of like an adult I talked to her as an like a like I would talk to an adult when she was little and she just grew up with this great vocabulary um and still is great at you know talking and using words and um And then, you know, Gwen was different. She was quieter. So I tried to just respect who she was and allow her to be herself um, and and also treat her like, you know, like a a real human being. I thought you treated us equally, too. Like, even though Gwen was having, you know, athletic success or whatever, or she was smarter, had better ACT score, we were still equal in, or at least I thought we were, in in mom (laughs) and dad's eyes. Oh, definitely. And um I don't think she was smarter. I, I think you liked to go out on Friday nights to a party and she was more devoted to her GPA. So, you know, she wasn't any smarter. She was just more concerned about the score at the well, end. H- how many books has she written? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm just saying, I'm just yeah. saying. So, so you guys got together and, and Elizabeth, I, I know you've, already, you've written multiple things, articles all over the place. You've got the, the book of poetry uh, again, I, I alluded to the hacking series, which we'll talk about in a minute. But when the two of you got together, how did you decide that one of the projects that you were going to collaborate on was a book about Gwen? How how did that come to be? And why didn't you say, Gwen, you're so smart, write your own book? She wanted to. She really wanted this middle grade young adult book. Um we were all three of us noticed that there aren't that many books available for middle grade or young adults mm-hmm. that feature female athletes. Yeah. And Gwen is really passionate as our mom and I, you know, being teachers about giving back to young people, showing them some heroes, um, 
giving them an inside story to an average Midwest girl who ended up being the world and Olympic champion. Um, and so Gwen really was the, the driving force. And she knows mom and I write together. And so she said, you know, may, maybe this could be the next project. Um, Gwen was very involved with the writing process, but more as the I think you should add this here, or what about this story here, or let's tweak this a little bit, and then mom and I were really the the writers. No, that's good. So I've got a, a middle school daughter right now, and uh, you know I, I've done my research on the story, and and I know it, but she's not familiar. So imagine that my daughter is sitting down at a breakfast table with you, and Gwen, this woman that she doesn't know, is sitting across the room. How do you describe her to my daughter? I think Gwen is just your average Midwest girl who decided she wanted to do something and get good at it and pursued that passion and experienced a whole lot of failure. She, um, She wasn't as good as she wanted to be. Her friends on the swim team were getting a lot faster than she was. She did not get a scholarship to college in her sport of choice. She had to walk on as a swimmer. Um, when she got to college, after two years, the coach pretty much said, mm, I think you've reached your potential in swimming. Maybe you should try something else. And and then when she was she switched to running, um, she didn't have the times to be a professional runner. And so she had all these setbacks. But along the journey, she did some things that I think were you know, facilitated her success. She listened to the people around her. And when somebody recognized that she was good at something, she was willing to consider that and say, well, maybe I am a better runner than a swimmer. Maybe I should try that. Mm-hmm. When USA Triathlon came to her and said, you know, I think you could, we could train you to be on the U.S. national team as a triathlete because you swim and you run. And Gwen says, yes, but there's one third of the sport that I don't know how to do. I don't know how to bike. And they said, well, okay, we'll, we'll find a bike for you and we'll find a coach for you. And we really think you have the talent and the ability to learn a third of your sport here at age 22 and be an Olympian. And so she, you know, she was willing to discover things about herself and listen to people who recognize talents that she had and shift focus. You know, yes, she loved swimming, but when that didn't turn out the way she wanted it to, she was willing to shift her focus and pursue something else that might bring her success. Mm. It's like she found the synergy in her life. You know, she was trying to become a specialist and she realized that sometimes you just have to take the things that you're good at, that you're willing to grow into and merge them together and find that superpower. And when we say that she's a good athlete um, and she's a triathlete, for people that don't quite understand that, explain when we say she's good, how good is she? And what exactly did she accomplish with a triathlon? What what, what do you talk about when we say triathlete? Triathlon is when you swim, then you bike, and then you run. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Gwen competed at the Olympic distance. So it took her about two hours to complete the race. Gwen ended up being the winningest woman in the history of the sport. Uh, She won the gold medal in the Rio Olympics. She took some time off to start a family. She also explored her run potential. And then just recently, she has announced her return to triathlon. And so she's going to try to make the Paris Olympics and Mm. do the triathlon relay, which if you've never heard of that, that's really cool. Um, Each, it's a four-member relay. 
and each member of the relay does their own mini triathlon. So each person swims, bikes, runs, and then they tag the other person, and then the next person goes. It's super fun. Um, and so she's hoping to medal with the U.S. team in Paris. Wow, it's just it's so intense. So I'm a runner, and I can't I can't even imagine can't even imagine getting to that level, and now getting to that level. You said well after starting a family. Is it a, from from your understanding? Is it a different level of commitment that she's taking right now? Is she still looking to to go out there and dominate, or is she just going to look and participate? I don't think Gwen does anything unless she's all in. <laughs> okay, <laughs> um, it, it's harder because um, her youngest is only three months old. Oh, wow. Her older son is five. They just hired an au pair, which I think will will help. Um, you know, for months and months, she begged us to move to Colorado so we could kind of be the live-in babysitter. And um, I just wasn't ready to do that with, I wasn't ready to leave my one daughter, Elizabeth, to, you know, to go across the country. to. Yeah. So to then Gwen kids. said I had to go too. Then she started, <laughs> now you well, got to come think, so that mom will come. I think we're starting to figure out who the favorite really is, but that's okay. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Yeah, it's a challenge. And, you know, the first time around when she pursued the Olympics, her husband um, gave up his his career as a professional cyclist to basically take care of her, to Mm. cook all of her nutrition, um, to facilitate all the travel plans, just to kind of be her. He wasn't her official manager, but he managed their life. He is now working full time as an agent for other athletes. Plus, they have these two kids. Um, so it, it's very, very different. Um, you know, with her, the last time around, she focused on recovery and, you know, she was getting massages and naps, a nap every day with a three month old, you don't always get a nap every day, much less even sleep through the night. So it's, it's different. On the other hand, I think she, she has so much experience, you know, she's been to the Olympics. She knows what the international stage is like. She knows what the competition will be like the kind of the mental pressures. And so she has some advantages and she's got some challenges. Wow. It's a, it's a, it's a powerful story. And I'm excited to, to be able to watch this journey. And I, I know the listeners, whenever they're listening to this, are going to be glued to the TV during the trials and, and the games and then watching the podium ceremony because we all know she's going to be there. So that's, <laughs> that's epic. I, I love this. You decided to take her story though and turn it into a story that fits the the mold and the mindset of middle school aged kids 11 12 13 14 year olds and 45 year old guys that are completely intrigued as well talk to me about about that process you know you both high school teachers high school educators both adults what was the process of taking that story and turning it into something that could be um absorbed by adolescent girls, preteen girls, teenage girls in a way that's going to inspire them and give them the passion, the endurance, the commitment to to learn those lessons that you want them to be able to walk away with. I think we started by doing some research. We looked for comps, like what other books are out there? What, what are we, you know, what are we working with here? Um, We read a bunch, we would send them back and forth. We would talk about what we liked and what we didn't. Um, And then we started writing and 
uh, mom came up with the structure of the book. And so there's like these two timelines that are happening at the same time that we hope build some suspense. I mean, obviously people know how the story ends. And so we, we still want to build in some suspense along the way. And then we had some wonderful beta readers. We shared the book with a couple of young adults and middle grade authors that we really are inspired by and respect. And they gave us some great advice, places to add more emotional content or ways to connect with the reader. And then we connected with teachers and we said, here's what we have. How could you use this in your classroom? Or what do you think a, a student would want to explore more after reading this? And then those teachers helped us connect our book to standards and to come up with activities and lessons. Um, and we put together an educator guide that teachers or coaches could use alongside the, the text if they, they choose to share it with their team or their school. And I, in addition to all that, we, um, I was in a writer's group, uh, about eight of us who read each other's books every week, and they read, they must have read it at least two times straight through, um, and, you know, gave me feedback about every 3000 words. And we just, I learned so much, you know, they would read a section and where I'd kind of be describing the transition, you know, how you get from the swim onto the bike. And they just said, we just don't get this. How does this happen that you take off your wetsuit and put on your helmet and get on your bike and get out of this tr transition zone? And so just some specifics like that were, you know, if six people said, I don't get this, we knew to go back and make it more clear. I think that's a that's a that's an amazing point you're talking about right there. This this notion of feedback that you're both so willing to to embrace. And I mentioned this early on, just talking about your dynamic with each other and your willingness to be vulnerable and, and transparent and to, to do life together yet side by side and apart at the same time. I, I'm just, I'm blown away by your level of vulnerability from people that are, are so successful, some from people that are are smart, you're articulate, you're published, you've got Olympians in, in, in the bloodline, like you, you're doing all things. And I feel like there would be this tendency from so many people out there to just try to highlight excellence and to never take critical, constructive feedback from anybody to say, no, we, we've got this and to just show up with the finished product. But your willingness to embrace the process, your willingness to elicit feedback from others, even people that might see it differently, and then to take that that knowledge and apply it, it's just it's mind blowing to me, and I'm I'm so intrigued by it. So intrigued by it. Hey, but I think that... we've done that our whole lives. Right. You know, like as I play an instrument as well, and I've always worked with a private teacher mm. who would say, "Try this technique or try this technique," and then, you know, I've just I think been taught to take in feedback as neutral data. Nobody is the, the critique of my writing is not a critique of me. And the ultimate goal was to make the writing better. And so we wanted people to tell us where they were bored or where they mm -hmm. were confused. I, so from an from an educator, from a teacher to say that, so powerful. So just for listeners, I know 70% of you are educators in some fashion. And I want you to hear what was just said. A critique of my writing is not a critique of me. That is so powerful. Number one, we're talking about critiquing kids and giving feedback to kids and the grading and what that the impact that has on their labels and their judgment, their feedback, self-esteem, all that. Not even going to go there. But I think there's a lot of educators today that feel like critiques of their teaching, critiques of their performance, critiques of their decision making is a critique on them. Are, do you carry the same openness and vulnerability 
at work as you do in your your private passions? Um, I was going to say a lot like you said, Elizabeth, relating it to music. I've been a musician my whole life. And when I was teaching choir, um, having a clinician come in and evaluate my groups was a big part of Mm. what we did every year. And it was in preparation, usually for some contest. But I always wanted my kids to hear a professional's opinion before we went before the judge that was going to give them a rating. And um, I also experienced some people who didn't do that. And, you know, I just observing other choir directors who um, we we used to call them the choir gods who set themselves up as the choir god who had all of the answers And I tried to be the opposite. I tried to be the one who said, I don't have the answers and I'm trying to enable my students to make decisions on their own and find those answers rather than give it to them. And I mean, that's where the experts come in. That's good. And now I'm trying to reconcile this with Gwen's journey. So you've got Gwen who heard from multiple people, "Mm, you've reached your potential. You're, You're not good enough. But yet she didn't let that distract her from continuing on and pushing forward. Was there a part of her, do you believe that said, well, I'm going to prove you wrong? Or did she hear what they said and said, okay, I'm going to take what you said and I'm going to form this into something different. For every person who said you've tapped your potential, she had somebody else who was saying, you have another potential that you haven't tapped. We had a high school cross country and track and field coach um, who followed Gwen's career and he was that little just bug in her ear over and over saying, Gwen, you're a runner. Gwen, you're a runner. And Gwen kept pushing him off like, I'm not a runner. And he eventually got her to hear him. And she followed that. And same thing with USA Triathlon, right? When they first came to Gwen and said, you have this potential, she didn't even know what triathlon was. She thought they were talking about Ironman. That's the the race that ends in the marathon. And she's like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. And so, I mean, I think that you know, every person has their opinion and you take that with a grain of salt, right? If somebody says you've tapped your potential, there's another person who says you have untapped potential. And so you get to choose who you listen to, what what you feed your brain with. Um, And Gwen, you know, she joined this international group of athletes because she wanted to be in a daily performance environment. She wanted to surround herself by the best in the world so that every day she was pushed to be better. Mm. Now you're, you're speaking to me as an adult. You're speaking to me as a parent right now. And I, I cannot wait for my daughter to listen to this and to hear this message, to, to know that you have the power to control which voices you listen to, because those voices will t- convince you of who you are. And it's up to you to pick and choose. And with middle grades, I'm so proud and so happy for you guys choosing middle grades for this, for this message, because mi- the middle grades kids are so vulnerable to the voices and to oftentimes identify themselves by the wrong voices, the critical voices, the judgmental voices, and the crushing blows to their self-esteem as opposed to the uplifting voices, the the little whispers in their ear that oftentimes aren't the loud barking ones, they're whispers, but you've got to be, you've got to lean into it because when the time is right, that can change your destiny. Oh man, this is such a powerful story. I'm, Oh, so, so, so thankful for you too. 
but I think, you know, the voice that we, we tell ourselves is really powerful as well. And that's something that Gwen focuses on is focusing on the good things that I have done. Um, and that, you know, it's easy to focus on all the things that we did poorly today, all the mistakes I made, but just looking back and, you know, Gwen has really taught us this, that every day look back and write down three things that you did well. And then if you do that in a week, right, you have how many? I don't know, not a math major. And then in, <laughs> in, in a month and then in a year, right, you you can look back and really see, oh, I am making progress. I have control over these daily habits. And that's what le- is leading me to improve. That, that transition right there was masterful. Let, let's talk about daily habits. I'm looking over, I, I think it's your right shoulder there on your on your shelf. Yeah, you got... <laughs> You've got this other book that uh, you should be super proud of. It's a book dealing with habits, how to hack student learning habits. It's part of the hacking series put out by by Mark Barnes and company, Time Stand. Talk, talk to me about that transition because writing in, in the the hacking series, it's it's formulaic, it's transcribed, but it's also a, a quick, easy, practical guide. It's a nice little template for educators, parents, people to, to grab onto. First, I'm curious about the process for you being uh, an, an English person. Was it hard for you to fit into that that system and that template and that guide? And then I also want to know why did you choose to write this? Yeah, I so this started, I don't know, a decade plus ago. Um, we started offering at my school a college essay workshop. And it was there was no grade attached. There was barely a credit. The kids got like a quarter credit, which does them nothing. Um, but they came to the college essay workshop and they were so invested. They would bring us draft after draft and they would like mull over these little these little choices that they were making. And then they would bring it to a different teacher and then they'd bring it to their friend and then they'd bring it to their mom and then they'd bring it back to us. And the teachers and I looked around and we were like, we want this in our mm. classroom. Like what, what is the disconnect? Why can we, why are they focused on grades and rubrics in our classroom? And here at the College Essay Workshop, they just care about good writing. And so I guess long story short, what we ended up doing is throwing out grades, throwing out rubrics, and we began assessing the process. You show up every day, you write something, you get some feedback. That's all I'm asking for. That's what you're assessed on. Um, And I started writing these articles about what we were doing at my school. And Mark Barnes read them. And he reached out to me on Facebook and said, (laughs) I think you have a book here. And I was like, what? No, I I don't have a book. I'm no. And he really thought that what I was doing would fit with his formula. And I was I was, it made it feel manageable that Mm. Mark said, here's just what you have to do. And then he also said, we'll give you an editor who will work with you every step of the way. And I knew I loved working with mom. And so I was like, (laughs) great, you know, I I could do this. And same thing. She was my beta reader. She has read the book probably more times than I have and (laughs) given me, you know, ideas of sections and things to put in. Um, And I'm, I'm really happy that it's out there and that I'm able to give teachers a language and also a system for how they can get kids to invest in the work and not in the grade grubbing, mm. the late work, the extra credit, it's gone. And all we do is we come in today and we we write and then we talk about the writing. And some days it's great and other days it's really, really sticky and terrible, but it doesn't matter. We're improving and next day we'll, we'll come back and we'll do it all again. 
And, and as you're speaking, I'm I'm looking at your mom on the screen. And I'm thinking what you just described is what good choir teachers have been doing forever, right? <laughs> we we often talk about the choir band PE as the special areas, the electives. When in reality, a friend of mine, Jack Berkmeyer, calls them the essential areas, and they're the ones that. Number one, you get the kids engaged and excited and passionate. You don't ever have to worry about tardies and uh, students being absent because they show up. You put learning on display as a production that everybody comes to. Parents show up to say, show me the final exam. Show me the finished product. And yet in so many of our other classes where we're forcing learning down their throat, it's more of a let's chase the points. Let's chase the points. So I, I, how does this dynamic work within the structure of school? Are you able to to bend things a little bit, to apply your your new thoughts and ideas within the construct of, but you got to give points, percentages, and grades because colleges expect it. And you got to have a GPA and you got to have the honor roll. We got the top 10 that have to sit on the stage and they blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So I that's outlined in the book too, but basically we were very transparent. We attended a bunch of conferences. We read a bunch of books. We invested our administration from day one. Um, and we're, we were just kind of processing with them and saying like, help us, like, you know, how cool the college essay workshop is like, help us get this into our classroom. Um, and they actually connected us with some of those essentials. They sent us to the tech ed department where there was a welding teacher who was doing what we wanted to do, but he was using checks and checks pluses and check minuses and then making it work within the system. I had no idea that he was doing that, but my curriculum director did. And so my, my school really was helpful in pointing me in these directions. Same thing with the choir department. Talk to them. How are they doing it? How do they use these authentic purposes to motivate students? Um, and then we brought it to our department, our English department, kind of making sure everyone understood what we were going to do. We brought it to our school board, got approval, and then we did a lot of work communicating with families. Um, you know, what to expect to see in the grade book and what to not expect to see. Um, and now after having done it for many, many years, the parents are on board. It's like the opposite of what you might think like they're like you have to take this class because hmm. and this is this is the this is the one that you want and is, is this the class that uses that that weird grading system yes that that's the class and so um we were i think i was really fortunate but there too we didn't we've never said we have all the answers and we st the system is still not perfect every year we tweak it every year we look back and say how can we make it better well i, I think those are the the reads that that educators need where you understand you're not, you don't have to have a deconstructed system to make this work. Just like when we start talking about Gwen, you don't have to, to be chasing a gold medal to make this work. There are some practices and principles that you can put in place to either make your job better, your craft better, your life better, your just make you better every single day is foundational principles and practices. And you, you two are walking, talking examples of that, that you can, just be normal people freezing your butts off in Wisconsin <laughs> and can, and you strive to be better every day. And that excellence can be amplified outwards. So Nancy, I, I need to, to just ask you, as you hear Liz talk and you've got this gold medal daughter as well, talk to me about the pride that, that swells up within you. How do you not just walk down the street with some epic swagger just knowing who your kids are i mean because th it is you yeah your, your kids are amazing in their own right but you get so much credit for this 
do you do you have an extra little strut? Um, yeah, I think I do. But... <laughs> she is you. lying. She is the most anti-swagger. No. <laughs> well, internally, I, I have a tremendous amount of pride, but I don't think I take so much credit for it. Um, you know, I think my, my husband um, also helped me raise these two girls to be such wonderful young women. And we haven't really mentioned him, but it was definitely a team effort. And did he win a gold medal? No. Well, did he, he did. In, did in he write a book? He did. did he write a book? Okay. <laughs> no. This is all about you then, Nancy. You get credit today. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, people ask me how I raised an Olympian and they might ask me how I raised this, you know, author daughter too. And um, I always say that I raised an Olympian by not trying to raise an Olympian. Mm. We, you know, she had this passion for swimming and she will tell you now that she was obsessed with swimming and tied a lot of her self-image into her performance in the pool. And she knows now that that was not good. And just as a parent, I knew instinctively that, you know, this 10-year-old should not be devoting her whole life to swimming. Mm. And so I insisted that she, I insisted that they both play a musical instrument. They both played violin. Elizabeth also played viola. And I insisted that they, you know, like do their spelling words and their science projects and emphasized academics. And so I, I think looking back, um, it was this balance between being the mom and insisting that they have a well-rounded education and something that they'll have to hang on to, you know, when they turn, when they're out of college, more than just, you know, a, a, a swim time, but also encouraging their passions and, and making their passions possible, um, you know, with either time. We went to all of Elizabeth's basketball games and her orchestra concerts. We went to all of Gwen's swim meets and her basketball games. And not as a sacrifice, but just because I just thought that's what good parents should do. Mm -hmm. They should invest in their kids and, um, you know, invest this time and this money so that after the very short window of parenting years are done, you know, you've got kids that have something to take with them. Oh, I, I, you just leave me with these warm fuzzies on the inside. <laughs> you make it sound so simple. And I think it, it part of it is simple. It's be good, be there and try a lot. And I think we've got so many parents that from the time the kids are three and four years old are already trying to raise specialists and world champions and NBA superstars. And as opposed to just, no, let's just, let's just focus on being good people. Let's try a lot of things, learn a lot of things, be good at a lot of things. And as Liz is uh, illustrating with, with her work and her passions, Gwen is doing the same thing. She learned that when she was trying to specialize and she was able to diversify and be good at a lot of things. That was her specialty. And that, there's so much truth that, that I'm taking from that, that just go out and be good at all the things that you're trying to be good at. And that will make you great. That's good. I like that. And I'm saying I like it because I just said it, but I'm taking exactly what you just said and processing <laughs> through my own head. So I, I I appreciate that. As as I'm hearing all of this, so many lessons, whether it's on the educator side, the athletic side, the parenting side, the family dynamic, a lot of things that people are probably absorbing right now. And in a few minutes, we're going to point them to where they can get all of these resources, where they can reach out to you, where they can grab the books, whether for themselves or for their kids or for their students. We'll, we will point them to those directions for those people that want to jump to it. All those things are in the show notes. You can scroll down. But if you're like me, listen to a podcast, we probably don't ever scroll down. So we'll give you those things in just a minute. 
But I, I ask all of my guests before we're done to imagine that they are speaking to the world right now. Right now, there are thousands of people listening to your words, thousands of people that are, are hanging on your every word. And I want you to imagine that you're standing on a stage in front of them all right now. And they know that you've hit your, your time quota, that it's starting to wrap up and they don't want you to leave, but they can sense your body language and they know it's about time. You've got that microphone, you've got that Nancy swagger and the elbows popped out. You're about to say something and then drop that mic and walk off to thunderous applause. Before you drop that mic though, what would your mic drop moment be? What would be that thing that you wanna leave the audience with before you saunter off the stage? I guess I would say, listen to those voices that mm. tell you you've got a talent. Even if you don't believe them, people see in you things that you cannot see in yourself. They have different experiences. They have different, they see it in you and believe them when, when they tell you you have a talent. And then I think Nike got it right when they said, just do it. Like, listen to them and then just do it. That's good. That's good. Nancy, I get a sense that you're running back on stage to grab the mic that she just dropped. <laughs> and you have like one more thing to say. I'm going to expand on what she said. <laughs> she's she's telling you to listen to the positive voices that are um, that have your best interests at heart. And I'm going to say, listen to those and also listen to your own voice and disregard the negative voices. Mm -hmm. There were so many people when Gwen did this, the naysayers, the people who said she shouldn't be doing this. She only started triathlon two years ago. And what about all the people that have been doing triathlon their whole lives? Um, but she knew that she had she had prepared just in, a, in sort of a non-traditional way. She'd done the swimming, she'd done the running, she'd done the biking. And, and she learned, it, it took some time, but she learned to listen to her own voice and to follow her own passion and to do what she really loves, regardless of what anybody said about her. Mm, so good. It's it, oh, so good. Listen to the voices, be that voice to yourself, be that voice to others, be a champion, be a cheerleader, just go out there and be an encourager and look for the encouragers in your world because that's the feedback we all need. That's good. So for people that are hearing this and they're saying, okay, I need to get a copy of this for myself. I need to read some of these words. I, I This podcast has been great, but I want to be able to just resonate on this. I want to be able to have something that I can highlight and I can write in. Tell people where they can go get Gwen, where they can go, Gwen, go, where they can go get Gwen's story, where they can read more about that or where they can pick up uh, Hacking Student Learning Habits. Wherever books are sold, uh, you can get Gwen Jorgensen, USA's first Olympic gold medal triathlete. Um, we also have a local bookstore. And of course, mom and I would like to encourage you to patronize your local bookstores. Um, Books and Company in Oconomowoc has signed copies by all three Ooh. of us. Yes. And so that will be in the show notes, or you could Google Books and Company Gwen Jorgensen, and it will pop up. Um, same thing with the free teacher guide. If people are interested in that, you could Google it. Um, you could also follow me on social media. Um, on Twitter, I'm at Liza Joe, L-Y-Z-A-J-O. Um, I'm very active there. And if you reach out to me, I'll message you right away. Other places, Mom? Oh, um. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm also on um, Twitter, Nancy Jorgensen, Instagram, Nance Joe, um, and I, we're going to send all this, all the information in the, um, in the show notes, so you'll be able to find all of that. 
We would be honored to, to speak to any school groups, um, to run little workshops with kids. Um, and so if teachers or coaches or whomever is interested, just reach out to us via our websites, lizjorgensen.weebly.com, nancyjorgensen.weebly.com, and we can set some stuff up free of charge. Perfect. Perfect. And it is the season. Track season is getting underway here really soon. So coaches, educators, parents, get the story, tell the story, start preaching it and start being that voice in the heads of your kids and your coworkers. I love it. Ladies, thank you so much for finding the time to have this conversation. It's inspired me. It's changing me. It's going to make me a little bit better. And I'm sure my listeners as well. Thank you so much. Dave, you were great. This was so much fun. It was awesome. (laughs) Thank you. Hey, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Lasting Learning Podcast. If you're interested in learning more, feel free to listen to additional episodes or to go check out schmitto.net. That's S-C-H-M-I-T-T-O-U dot I hope that you will engage in the conversations that matter most. Remember, there are no taboo topics in education. Thank you.